welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 62nd episode, I'll be talking to Juliet Kahn, writer and co-host of The Lasso of Truth, about the Teen Titans cartoon. Along the way, we discuss being smitten with the goddess of death at age 8, when to unleash your limit break to protect your friends, and how Robin and Starfire are the ship that launched a thousand fix. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can be a guest on the Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake. My name is Juliet Kahn and I work in the comics industry in a few different ways at this point. I am first of all a retailer. I work for Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts where I live. I am also a comics critic and journalist, formerly for Comics Alliance, which of course is no longer with us. A whole bunch of other websites that I can't remember, primarily right now for Publishers Weekly. And my first graphic novel, Fabio Linolini, will be coming out from Oni Press in 2018? 2019? world and we're gonna see we're gonna we're gonna find out and you also have a podcast oh yes this is the one i always forget i also have a podcast with the lovely and talented l collins called lasso of truth where on a bi-monthly basis we go through wonder woman of the past the present and the future i never know if by things i know how often your show comes out but whenever someone says bi-monthly i'm like does that mean every two months or does that mean twice <laughs> a month i never know ideally we put out two episodes a month that has not always been the case but generally speaking, that type of bi-monthly. And listeners, if that sounds even remotely up your alley, definitely go and check it out. Because as someone who, because I, I wasn't really a DC person, I only have tangential kind of contact with Wonder Woman through various tentpole DC things I've read because, oh my God, Lucas, you have to read this, etc. The Last of Truth is a great deep dive into a character that has been very, who's been kind of mercurial depending on who's been writing her. And uh, The Last of Truth really dives into how wonder woman is different in different time periods but how there's kind of this like kind of rock solid core of the character that hopefully most of the better writers go back to why thank you all right juliet so let's start from the beginning where did you grow up i am from northern virginia dc area in particular in the united states if anybody listening knows a lot about that area i am from fairfax and chantilly really specifically which is kind of a boring place to grow up not to malign northern virginia too hard it's just a place that is very different than it was 50 years ago or so my fiance Anne, for example is from a family that's like actual virginia northern virginia in contrast is made up almost entirely of people who got there within the last 20 years and in a lot of ways that was kind of a good thing most families were like mine recently immigrated had like at least one other language speaking grandparent in the house parents that were there for some kind of DC connected job, which really runs the gamut from like, you know, the kids whose parents are like, well, I didn't actually live in towns that were nice enough to have the parents that were like lobbyists and senators, but that was like in my vague county-wide proximity 
two parents that were in nonprofits, parents that were working in the now much bigger tech industry, parents that were working in education, parents that were working in the museums. It was bringing a lot of different people together, and that's that was a, a good part of growing up, absolutely. But it was also a place that had sort of changed so quickly that there was kind of a vacuum when I was growing up and still kind of there of like culture or sense of place. Like everybody had their individual household culture, but like everything in Northern Virginia that's out in the public sphere, like it can be found anywhere else, which is kind of weird. It was sort of a perfectly featureless suburbia in a lot of ways. And this was increasingly boring to me as I grew up. I now live in the Boston area where my dad's side of the family is from. And God knows like the Boston area has its own issues, but I like it better. And yes, listeners, there will be a long and extended bonus episode where Juliet and I talk about the food of the Boston area, including Mike's Cannolis, which is what you should totally go to. Oh, yeah. So growing up in North Virginia in this featureless suburban wasteland, which I'm sorry, I'm just picturing Edward Scissorhands. (laughs) What sort of kid were you? I was... See, I want to just say like kind of a weird kid, but I don't mean exactly what that implies. I was a very, very good little girl until around 12. I was in gifted and talented classes, and I was a ballet dancer, and I was a Girl Scout, and I did really, really well on all of my tests, and I was the kid who would go over to play with somebody or go to their birthday party, and their parent would tell my parent, like, oh, Julia, it was no trouble. She's so well-behaved, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I was, I was good, and I was very good at being good, and it was important to me to be good. And then I turned, like, 13 and went to middle school and, like, immediately went through the most obnoxious possible like (laughs) oh my god all of these people are such conformist face but the minute somebody says oh i was very good at being a good girl i'm waiting for the inevitable but then (laughs) well and it's true because i definitely had that moment but i didn't really like the misfit kids either i kind of stopped having friends really mostly from like 13 to 18 with like a few exceptions most of them are people that i've become better friends with since graduating high school but yeah i i was a weird kid slash teenager in that I was very angry in a way that there's no real model for for teenage girls. Like, there were a lot of different books and TV shows and movies. Well, a lot in quotes, but still. I could find things that were about like, wow, are you the misfit girl that likes geek things? Do you wear glasses and have like something in your life that you watch that features an elf? Wow, like, here's a story for you. But they always sort of assumed that I was like shy and kind of jittery and insecure. And like, I think a lot of my school, and I went to a huge school of 3000 kids. Like I want to stress that I wasn't even particularly bullied because I was just wallpaper. And it was a school that was too big to actually really sustain like like a major social hierarchy. And honestly, like the kids that were picked on, there were like geeky kids that were picked on and I didn't like get totally unscathed. But the kids that I knew that were like really aggressively targeted, there was something about them that couldn't blend in as well. And I was a little little bit better at blending in. And honestly, to be real, especially through high school, I slept through most of the entire day. So um, <laughs> I, I would not have really been aware necessarily if anybody was picking on me. But yeah, I was I was not really the like shy little stumbling nerd girl that I felt like I was supposed to be. I was just really tired all the time and mad and kind of irritated with everybody. Like if anything came close, it was probably Daria. Even that wasn't quite right because Daria at least had like a best friend and I didn't have anybody which sucked. But like, I was very prickly 
I was quiet in school and everybody assumed that this was because I was shy and it was actually just because I didn't really like anybody and didn't feel like trying to pretend that I did. And like, again, I was full of myself. Like, I don't want this to sound like, you know, I was just better than everybody else. I wasn't. But I just, I didn't really get along with people very well. I didn't really like the other nerd kids. And like, God knows they existed. Like, there was a huge burgeoning anime club at my school. But I really didn't like the anime club kids. I mean, like, I watched anime, but I just... I didn't get along with them. It was full of terrible teen hormones in just the worst possible way, and I just was tired after the first meeting. Also, they had the most boring fucking taste in anime. Kogios was not that good. <laughs> it's just not that good. But that's beside the point. But I was just, I was mostly lonely and a really bad student, which felt weird because I'd been such a good student, and suddenly I was like, like, there was genuine concern in high school over whether or not I was going to be able to graduate because I was really struggling to make some grades happen, and I was just bored and lonely and faintly sullen, pretty decidedly sullen, like, faintly raging all the time, and, uh, and I was also... Oh, okay, faintly raging is an excellent expression. <laughs> I'm just picturing you as being on, like, a low simmer at all times. Yeah, you know, simmer is, is, is the right word for it, and and I was a huge nerd, as I always had been, but I wasn't, like, completely into the big nerdy things at the time. Like, I was, but I got into a lot of, like, the big anime of the late 2000s a few years after it. Like, I didn't watch Death Note nor in High School Host Club as they were coming out, for example. And, like, I, I liked Harry Potter, I always had, but, you know, there were these huge gaps in between books. And just in general, like, my friends who were, like, the big geek kids, I, I wasn't totally on their wavelength. Like, I was never really into D&D or magic, and that was a big thing that a lot of them were in a club for. I remember Supernatural premiered while I was in high school and I just didn't really care. A big part of the problem for me, and this will sound weird given what we're about to go on to discuss, but I have always had trouble being interested in fandom properties that are mostly about male characters. It just, like, I can enjoy them and, like, Harry Potter was always my favorite character in Harry Potter, but it's just, it's hard for me to connect to. Like, I can enjoy something, but it doesn't hit that part of me that wants to, like, write fanfic and, like, start a live journal and, you know just, like, obsessively devote myself to for years. Like, I was never gonna get into Supernatural, for example. And, like, Yuri on Ice. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. I feel no need to, like, seek out fanfic or anything. And that was a lot of the fandoms that were big then. So I felt a little bit weird being... Wait, wait, Yuri on Ice fandom was big when you were in high school? No, 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 no. I mean, like, today. I, I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I was it's, gonna it's... say, that's, that show premiered, like, 20 minutes ago. No, no, no. I'm, I'm 27. <laughs> but I felt a little bit weird. I was this big geek kid, and there were all these other geek kids, but I didn't really like them. Also, in my defense, a lot of them just sucked, which I just feel comfortable <laughs> saying now. Like, I mean, a lot of this was me being, like, a superior little shithead, but also, like, some of those kids blew. There was this one kid who, like, was desperately trying to make himself into, like, the Casanova of the anime club. Oh, Christ. <laughs> this was the kid that showed up to prom with, like, the cane that he bought from Spencer's Gifts with, oh, like, fuck. an evil oh, jester fuck. on top. Like, no. It was it was that kid. Like Oh, I knew that guy. Yeah, oh, oh, we all knew that guy. He was the kid who like had the live journal entitled like Welcome to My Twisted Mind. You know, he was nice. the kid who like loved flirting with you by being like, "Oh, let me tell you about my like sick twisted other personality." And it's like, "Oh, okay. Like I get it. The Dark Knight just came out." I'm picturing a lot of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comics being pushed at people. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, like Slave Labor Graphics was the that was that was more middle school, but like that was this kid, just yeah. everything there. And I say this as somebody who owned Emily the Strange shirts. Like I'm not innocent. Some of the kids, in my defense, in that anime club, just sucked as people. Mm-hmm. The ones that didn't, I'm still friends with. My friend April, you know who I I kind of knew and I kind of hung out with a little bit. Like we graduated, she went to Savannah College of Art and Design. I went to Hampshire College out in Western Mass, and we actually became like better friends outside of that context. But a lot of the kids in that anime club, like just they were just shitty, and I stand by that. But I felt kind of weird too because I was getting really into comics, which I'd always been into since I was very young, but I was getting really into them and in particular into the DC animated universe and I didn't really have anybody to share that with. So from the age of like 13 to 17, my whole life was online DC cartoon fandom and in particular Teen Titans fandom. Like that was... I'm gonna say, like, 80% of my social interaction that wasn't with, like, my little sisters or my grandma or my parents or people that I had to pass things to in class. Like, it was me and the titansgo.net forums for (laughs) four to five solid years. Yeah, and it's something about having a thing that you can't really talk to other people that you know about. And I mean, this is a huge leap, and so I apologize for drawing this very long bow. When I got into Teen Titans, and specifically the DCAU, it's because I had watched Batman the Animated Series in high school because it would come on in the mornings before school, and so I would watch it every day. But then what happened is that much, 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 much later, I think I was, I think, 26 or 27, and I was going to a new job in a part of the city that required me to take a train, a long train trip. And then in order to not be arriving when I was supposed to be at work and therefore making myself late, I would have to take a train that would get me to the area around work 45 minutes early. And so I would be there. And because I started at 730, that would mean I would get to a closed shopping mall at like, you know, six something. I basically invested in an iPad 2 and started ripping episodes of Teen Titans and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and Transformers Prime because I'm like, I know I'm going to have at least an hour every morning where I need to make myself feel good before I go and do my terrible debt collection job. And so there was me sitting in a closed Westfield shopping center on a bench with an iPad and giant headphones watching Teen Titans and loving it and having no one to talk to about it because no one at my job was anywhere interested in that. And also I didn't like anyone at that job. So (laughs) I totally get that vibe of there's this thing and I have no one to tell about. And even those people who I know who would be interested have been through this thing 10 years ago. Now I I am interested and I do like your descriptions of what I can only describe as your equal opportunity contempt in high school. (laughs) Because like you said, you know, you're talking about the people in the anime club. I had a friend in high school who was really into anime. He was really into Ghost in the Shell and Gunsmith Cats and would draw incredibly detailed drawings of guns and ladies holding guns in his notebooks. Oh uh, yeah, that kid. Yeah, and I looked him up about a year ago and he's real into rock climbing now and that's all he posts about on his Facebook. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I, I could like, you can call that evolution, I think. <laughs> so my question though is because you talked about Teen Titans as well. But there were things like Supernatural that didn't grab you and Code Geass and all things like that. So what was really grabbing you even before Teen Titans? Like what was the things that were that you had that you were like, yes, this is the thing that made me want to, like you said, you know, write fan fiction and talk to other people about? Well, the first thing to grab me in like a major consuming way was Sailor Moon when I was... I think like eight years old that was the year when i was seven and eight that's pokemon and sailor moon premiered on tv i loved pokemon absolutely the very first fanfic i ever wrote was a pokemon fanfic called misty wake up and it was in script format and it was literally just like misty decides to leave the gang one day and go back to performing in cerulean city and ash and brock 
get there just in time for her show, and then she mysteriously faints in the tank for reasons that I don't establish or explain. Oh my god, she's gonna die, she's in the hospital. But then she doesn't, just in time for her and Ash to admit their true feelings to each other. And this never actually ended up online, because I created a fanfiction.net account, and when I got to the upload page, I didn't understand what the browse button meant. I did not get it. I think I thought I would just be, like, copying and pasting it. And so it never saw the light of day. It died with my parents' Windows 95 gateway. I, like, fell even harder for Sailor Moon, though. It was just not like anything I'd ever seen. And it was just, like, my consuming obsession from the age of 8 to, like, 11, I'm gonna say. And something that I still really love. Holy shit, like, it was everything to me. And the first fanfic I have that's still online in my fanfiction.net account that I created when I was 10, (laughs) it is all Sailor Moon fanfic. There's three in total, two of which are Sailor Moon fanfic poetry, which actually, I went back and looked at, they're not bad. Like, both are free verse. Which sounds ambitious, but actually it was just me realizing that rhyming was hard. But you know, (laughs) I'm actually proud of my 10-year-old self for using some, some like fairly decent alliteration in places. So who was your scout though? That's the big question. Saturn. Saturn, okay. I really, I, I love them all. I had a lot of favorites. But there was a day in third grade where the girl who was sort of the ringleader of the girls in my class called me and some of my friends over. And I thought that Sailor Moon was just this Uh-oh. weird thing that like nobody, no, this is not actually going to go to the place you think it is. Although she okay, was good. horrible for other reasons. Okay. I just thought that Sailor Moon was this weird thing that nobody else liked that I liked. Because it wasn't like, like there weren't toys in stores yet. And I could tell like, I learned pretty quickly, this looks different because it's from Japan. And I just thought like, I bet nobody else is watching this but me. And it was before the anime boom really started in earnest. So I thought I was the only person in class. And then Nan Hogan and her little cronies, who were actually behaving fine here, called me and my friends over. And it turned out every girl in class loved Sailor Moon. And they'd all been playing Sailor Moon. And they wanted us to play Sailor Moon with them. But of course, they'd already chosen their character. And some of the only ones left over, I can't remember the others, but one of them was Sailor Saturn. And I remember this was before like anything but the first season had been brought over. I was like, who's Sailor Saturn? She doesn't exist. There's only five. And Nan Hogan whose dad had some kind of job that enabled him to bring over stuff from Japan for her. It was like, no, there's these other seasons. And she had like wall scrolls. She had untranslated manga. I still don't know exactly what was going on there. But she was the one to be like, there's a Sailor Saturn and she has a cool outfit. And she's like the goddess of death in the Sailor Moon universe. And I was like, I was smitten immediately. (laughs) I mean, really, like, I love all the characters and I had others that I really enjoyed, but I loved Saturn. I was very devoted to Saturn. I remember my poor mother... Like, this was, again, before the manga, the anime and manga boom had really started in a huge way, and there wasn't merchandise in a lot of places. Especially, there was very little merchandise of Sailor Saturn. Like, if you know anything about Sailor Moon, she's the one that, if they're gonna leave someone out, they're gonna leave her out. And I remember explaining to my mom around the holidays, well, she's she's the purple one, and she has short hair, and she carries this big, like, scythe thing. And my mom just couldn't find her, so I got a little Mercury doll instead, which is fine. <laughs> but I know now that she really she was really hard on herself, and even as a kid, I remember thinking, like, she's not gonna be able to find anything, and that's fine. Like, it's, and it's just, it's so much easier now. Like, God, you can just find anything on Amazon or eBay. I loved Saturn, and she was, like, probably not a small part of me having a major punk and goth phase later on, given that she was, like, (laughs) the one who dressed in black, who was aligned with death and sadness and the apocalypse. Who had a uh, fucking silence glaive. I know. Oh, my God. It's so badass. She was so cool. I still love her so much. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're watching along as Sailor Moon and you hear that there's an attack called Dead Scream and you go, ooh, right? that hits a certain that hits a certain chime in your soul. Then you remember that there's also an attack called Star Gentle Uterus and you feel a little bit weird. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was one, you know, there was such a fascinating age of like 
the internet wild west where you could have these rumors swirling. Did you ever hear the Prince Uranus rumors? This was big on GeoCities back in the day. I have not. Please tell me. It was this fandom rumor that was created by, I think, there was this like faux fan organization called Save Our Sailors that was all over GeoCities back in the day, and there's a whole history there. But I think it came from them. It was this fan rumor that Uranus and Neptune weren't actually gay because... There was like an untranslated mm. chunk of the manga that had just never been brought over to the U.S. that explained that during the Silver Millennium, there had been like a prince and princess of Uranus, I think, if I'm remembering the rumor correctly. And it had been the prince that was in love with Neptune, but then they died and only our Uranus was reincarnated. So like they're gay, but not really because she has the prince Uranus soul inside her. And pretty quickly, well, relatively quickly, I remember people being like, no, that's bullshit. But it held sway for quite a while. And there were all kinds of other weird rumors. Like, there was this whole thing for a while where you had to buy strawberry Pop-Tarts because they were, like, (laughs) one of the sponsors and that was going to convince the TV channel to not cancel Sailor Moon. But it was also whatever channel was airing it at 6 in the morning and I was always watching it on Toonami, so I didn't care. Is this like sending in Tabasco sauce to save Roswell? Pretty much. Pretty much. It was a very, very weird age of internet anime fandom rumor. That was the first thing to really light me completely on fire and make me want to, like, just absorb everything I could. Like, I remember I used to print out all of the pictures I could find just on every Sailor Moon website. And this was back when, like, everybody had an individual website and it had a gallery page and it would just be whatever random pictures they had. And I would just print them out and, like, not to do anything with, I just wanted to have them in some way and I put them all like my night table drawer I think and I just never did anything with them but I just wanted to be able to own them somehow because they were so beautiful and of course I wasted all my family's printer ink which was not great but um <laughs> I did the same my dad bought a, a like a plotter for his job which was one of the printers that had the big roll in them and it would Ooh. print like photo quality and I think at the time I printed a bunch of like Buffy pictures like not of Buffy but from the show of like characters and stuff and lots of really overwrought terrible photoshops and I'm just being like yeah put these up on my wall these are real cool and it's like because again it's that ownership thing absolutely and you know there was no other way to have a piece of it like i had the manga that wasn't like you'd be able to see that in japan there was you know there was so much more there there were wall scrolls there were posters there were like cooking utensils there were dolls and of course here like eventually we got we got the little like unfortunate barbie dolls but nothing before that although i will say as i mentioned in what i guess might become the bonus episode my mother's family is from cuba and we came over to the united states in drips and drabs between like the 1960s through to the 2000s and the last real major chunk of my family came over in 1999 i think this was the family that sprung from my great uncle and you know his wife his children and my cousins fabio and claudio And when they came over, my mom organized this whole trip where we would see each other and, like, just rent a house by the beach and just spend some time together for, like, a week or so. My aunt Patricia, who's very, very, very sweet, wanted to make a good impression on me and asked my mom what I was into and what I liked. And my mom said, oh, she loves this cartoon, Sailor Moon. It's on Cartoon Network. It's got the really big eyes and the giant pigtails. And when we met for the first time, my aunt Patricia, whose English was still not great, presented me with this, like, one of those little, like, knockoff Sailor Moon Barbies. And I remember thinking, even then, like, these dolls are ugly, but this is really special. <laughs> and I think I think I still have it somewhere, but it was like, oh, these dolls make me mad because I've seen pictures of, like, the super beautiful ones they have in Japan. But this situation has specifically contrived for me to get over that as best as I can as a nine-year-old. So, uh, so they had kind of a redemption arc in my life, but I was 
very devoted to that property. Like, I had other things I was interested in between, like, the age of 11 and the age of... Well, actually, it really wasn't that long of a gap. Between, like, 11 and 13 when I started watching Teen Titans. But it was the first thing prior to Teen Titans that was, like, a proper obsession for me. So when did the switch to Teen Titans happen? Actually, I remember it incredibly vividly. I was 12 or 13. I'd heard about the show and I'd seen some of the promos and I was really unimpressed in a very like, eh, that looks like fake anime. I'm not going to watch it kind of way. <laughs> You're back on that simmer. A few years later, I remember when Nickelodeon was like, Avatar, Last Airbender, it's our new series. And I remember like, oh God, that looks like you can fake your anime. And then of course it was <laughs> exceptionally good and I ended up watching it and being like, all right, this is yes. great actually. Exceptionally good. <laughs> but Teen Titans, I was very disdainful of. And then one day, and I still remember it was in my parents' bedroom because they had their own TV. I caught Sisters, which was, I think chronologically, the second episode of the show. And, uh, and it's just this episode where it's the first Starfire episode. Blackfire comes and Starfire feels very inferior to her because Blackfire is so cool and like effortlessly so. And But she's the worst. Blackfire's the worst. Blackfire is the worst. And, uh, and it's also the episode that introduces the fact that Robin and Starfire were going to be like the ship of the show. And mm. it's also just going back. It's a really particularly beautifully animated episode. Like it has some of my favorite animation of the whole series. And I knew it was something special. Like I remember it ending and being like, Actually, I, I think this is good. I think I care mm -hmm. about this. This is, you know, before really you could watch like anything streaming. This was like 2002, 2003. I just had to wait until it came back. And then there was this marathon someday. It was right after the first season had wrapped up. And I think it was specifically, that's the arc, if you don't remember, that's the whole Robin and Slate Apprentice arc. They marathoned the whole thing and I was there to watch it. And like those Apprentice episodes blew my 13 year old mind like nothing I'd ever seen before. They were so intense and there was like pathos and like, oh my God, he had to fight his friends. What the hell? This is so deep. I'm 13. What is this? And I just, <laughs> I fell completely in love. And this was right before the second season was premiering. So the first episode that I watched as it aired, and this was when it was airing in a very weird time slot. I remember specifically it was 9 p.m. on a Sunday, which I what? understood, right? That was like, it quickly moved. And for most of my like time in the fandom, it aired at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. But I remember at the time thinking, like, 9 p.m. on Sunday is when you start airing, like, Adult Swim. It was very weird, especially given that this was, especially in the beginning, their, like, kitty alternative to the fanboy cartoons. And they were airing it at 9 p.m. on Sunday. But that is when the first episode that I watched as it aired premiered, which was the first episode of season two, How Long is Forever, which is the one where Starfire ends up, like, flung into the future and she finds out that without her, her friends have, like, fallen apart entirely and the world is a dystopia and she has to get back. But, oh no, is this an inevitable future? Drama, 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 drama. Also Nightwing in not, like, my favorite iteration of Nightwing, but not my least favorite. Poor sad Beast Boy with his bald spot. Right, oh my god. But, like, Raven just in that room where it's just implied that she's lost her mind and she thinks she's hallucinating Starfire because she's hallucinated her friends before and now there's no such thing again... When I was 13, that was the deepest shit I'd ever seen. Like, that blew my damn mind. And then, and it was just, it was all downhill from there. Or uphill, depending on how you look at it. That was it. I went online and I quickly joined the Robin and Starfire Shrine, which was an envision-free forum. <laughs> a few years later, joined the TitansGo.net forums. TitansGo.net being like, that was like the fandom hub back in the day. Everything is so decentralized now. Like, you used to have to have that central forum, you know, where the fandom happened. And now it's like... It's you look in the Tumblr tags, but back then, back when there was like a forum and an Okaki and stuff, Titans Go.net was where it was at. That was my social interaction for years. 
You mentioned the Yuri on Ice thing and like, like going out and writing fanfic or seeking things out. I don't have to because I have Twitter and a bunch right? of people that I follow are Yuri on Ice stands. And so it's just like every once in a while I'll just spot something. I'll be like, yeah, I'll retweet that. And that's right? all good. It's so different. Like there, people distinguish themselves as people that you follow, major artists, major writers, what have you in the fandom. But it's just, it's omnipresent now in a way that it did not used to be. I mean, we had LiveJournal, of course, but even there, like, the fandom was clustered around specific communities. And I have to say, I, I miss that sometimes. It was easier because I was always a fanfic writer over, like, a fan artist, and, and LiveJournal was good for prose. But it's just so different now. Yeah, and you mentioned that Apprentice arc, and I think that was the first time that the show really decided, you know what, we, we don't have to be episodic and fun, even though that's the allure for the show at the moment. It's that it's the fun one. It's the one where, you know, you have Mad Mod, and uh, was it, oh, fuck, I always forget his name, the Hot Rod Guy. Uh, Johnny Rancid. Daddy. Oh, no, Johnny Ding Rancid. Dong Daddy. Daddy. That's right. Ding Dong Daddy Dowd, yeah. Oh, God, that's <laughs> right. So dumb. In the fifth season, but oh, man, in the Wacky Race episode. Yeah, and it's just like, there's that, and then, like, you've got those things, and then you also get Slade attempting to turn Robin to the dark side, and he gets, I think for me, it was that moment where he's like, oh, you know, I'll be everything to you, I'll be your father, and Robin stands up and he says, I already have a father, and a swarm of bats comes from behind him, oh. and I may have, like, done a little air punch and been like, I know what that means. Oh my god, oh me too. What an iconic scene. I remember realizing right afterwards, like, oh my god, he means Batman! What? Like, it just, it, and especially because that show, like, <laughs> so rarely discussed anything else in the DC universe. And by design, which I now understand. Like, I remember there was originally, you know, eventually an origin episode, but people were clamoring for it. I understand now with greater clarity why the staff was really insistent about not doing that for so long and really establishing themselves as an independent thing. Because as much as I did love the rest of the DCAU, as much as I did love Justice League Unlimited, it was good to have something that was just independent. That was just its own thing that you didn't have to know, like, anything else about anything else to enjoy. Especially because I'd always loved superhero comics, and I'd always been drawn to superheroes. And at the same time as this was happening, I was getting really into comics in a way that I'd never been able to before. There was no comic shop near me growing up. And so I loved superheroes in theory, but it's also even before trade paperbacks were a major thing, so there wasn't a lot of stuff I could check out from the library. Like, I read the DC encyclopedia that my library had a lot, but, you know, it wasn't really the same as being able to follow what was going on. And with LiveJournal and some of the major LiveJournal comic communities, I was finally able to do that, and I was being introduced to more things, and I was finally actually, like, digging into the DC universe. And so I was actually getting more of a foothold, and, like, by the time the last few seasons came around, like, I was familiar with the Trigon arc, and I knew, like, when they had characters like Jericho, I'm like, oh, I know who Jericho is. And now, of course, you know, I've read all the new teeth. So you were ready <laughs> for the brain and Monsieur Mala? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I at that point, I was disappointed that they weren't going as far as they did in Morrison's New Patrol. <laughs> I was also very grateful, even though I was getting into this stuff, to have something that did not demand it of me. That was good. That was just good. And that was one of the best things about the DCAU as a whole. Which, again, I know not everybody considers Teen Titans part of, but I do. And I have grounding that I'm not even going to get into because it's way too convoluted and pedantic. But, <laughs> but yeah, I will say, Teen Titans, like, I was a big fan of all the characters. And I have to say, I think one of the best things about that show is that the characters were all very strong. Like, I had favorites, but really all five I cared about. Like, I was invested in all five of the main characters of the team. But I particularly loved Robin and Starfire separately, and I was a huge shipper. Like, I should put that on the table <laughs> right off the bat. That was a huge part of my fandom interaction. I actually ended up being one of the Robin and Starfire Shrine moderators. Of course you did. I became really, really close to a girl, Michelle, who was my age, who also moderated the forum, who I was so close to that when we were 14, our parents talked and she was allowed to come visit me at the end of my freshman year in high school. Ah, uh, God, we were intense little fangirls. <laughs> Which, 
it's all it's all really good memories. I had a really good time with her. And now she's still a cool person who I am happy to know. I ended up moderating the community. Michelle and I ended up founding and moderating the Robin and Starfire Live Journal community, which actually still exists. Though people have been- we ended up, like, having one of those systems where people had to ask to become a member of it because of Flame Wars, and at some point I stopped checking, so there's probably hundreds of people that are waiting to be let in. But <laughs> I have to say, I, I have abdicated my responsibilities there. Although, and I- Titans Go to Net was, like, the major, major fandom hub, so, you know, their moderators are pretty set in stone. But I did establish myself, even there, as so into that ship that around 2006 or 7, towards the end of the fandom and the end of the show's run, there was a guy on the forums who wrote this, like, epic sort of jokey metafic that was about the forum if it were its own world. The ship wars is actual wars, and he wrote me as the queen of the Robin and Starfire Kingdom, sending forth my armies to do battle against the Robin Raven shippers. So, <laughs> I want to be clear, like, I love this show, but I was also absolutely fucking obsessed with that couple. And, like, when people ask me, because they're like, oh, Juliet, you're a writer, how'd you get to be a writer like i had a really wonderful creative writing teacher i had some great english teachers it wasn't that it wasn't writing about hamlet it wasn't like my creative writing class exercises it was writing robin and starfare fanfic like that was that was absolutely how i learned to write and like it was where i got to make all of my teenage mistakes and like experiment with you know some weirder and more ambitious styles yeah fuck them up but like do it in a safe space which I have to say, like, I'll always have a real affection for fandom because of that. It was a great space to become a writer in and to make all of those first mistakes in a good place to make it in. You know, and with a bunch of other teenagers that weren't going to be like, well, actually, you have a really mixed metaphor there. You don't need that necessarily then. You're, you're going to do a lot of that growing on your own. You're going to look back in a few years and organically be like, oh god, this was bad. It was fun to just be able to do it with a bunch of other teenage girls. Yeah, there's a magician named Brian Brushwood who talked about how he got started, and he got started as a street magician because as he put it, and this is something I've stuck into kind of part of me, which is where you always need to find a safe place to be bad so that when you get a real space, you can be good. You've, Like you said, you've got all those mistakes out. So you, you, know, you can go and bomb for two months straight and then you've got all of that out of you and you know why you did that if, well, if you're smart about it. You're bringing that level of analysis to it and going, okay, came back and going, all right, this is why this happened. And yeah, I really like that because I've talked to a lot of people who got their start in fan fiction and there's always this kind of stigma around it. But really, it's like you said, it's a place where you can try stuff, where you can put your name to something and have that sense of ownership to it. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, and you know, I didn't have any other kind of community in my life, but I had the fandom and I had the fanfic part of the fandom in particular. Like, I had this friend who, looking back, was an incredible mentor to me. This woman, Azelma, that's what she went by. And at the time, oh god, she must have been around the age I am now. She was studying to be a neurosurgeon, I think, at the University of South Holy Carolina. Shit. Right? Yeah, she was incredible. And like, <sighs> this was just this thing where like, she really loved the cartoon, it made her happy. Um, she was also, beside the point, but, like, beautiful and incredibly stylish. She had the best clothes. Like, just, oh, God, she did the best, like, outfits of the day. So she was just an incredibly put-together person who also was this huge nerd. And she liked to write fanfic. It wasn't something that, like, she wanted to pursue. It was just a fun hobby and, you know, something to de-stress while she was studying to be a neurosurgeon. She was just, like, a really... Looking back, she was a really, really wonderful mentor who really understood the sort of older sister position that she was in for a lot of us, because I was a teenager and she was in her 20s. And looking back, like, I didn't realize it, but was clearly cognizant of that and what that meant. And she was just really kind to so many people. And I remember in particular, like, there were 
there's so many of us that were dealing with like all kinds of like undiagnosed mental illness as teenagers and she was dealing with it herself and also studying it and like looking back I don't know how many people I saw have conversations with her that were like I think I'm depressed and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to talk to my parents about it or like starting I was had huge problems with OCD and panic attacks at the time and she was the only person to give me like actual decent advice she was a wonderful person who I think about a lot now. When people get really down on fandom, I think, yeah, but there were people like Azelma. And yeah, there's that doesn't mean every fandom is perfect. That doesn't mean fandom can't harbor bad people. But like, I had a lot of trouble making friends and I didn't have any real like good adult influences in my life besides my parents and my grandma. Like my teachers just, it, it was on the ground and she was there and she was great and she encouraged my writing. And that was something I desperately needed at the time. So fandom for me, I mean, it wasn't always great. It wasn't always perfect, but there was a lot of good there. And Teen Titans fandom in particular, it was a, I mean, God knows it could get dramatic and there was, there were a lot of flame wars, but it was a good place that <laughs> on the whole, it was really, really good to me. Like I had a really, really miserable high school experience and I didn't have anything else in my life. And if I hadn't had that, I just, I wouldn't have had anything. But this was a place where like, I could have friends and I could establish myself to people that didn't know me as, oh, that girl who falls asleep in class. Or like that girl who is like really conspicuously getting like the really bad test grade back. I was just tool skirt who was funny and liked fanfic and wrote a thousand words every day defending Starfire as a character. Like it was the only space in which I could have any kind of self-actualization and any place to like try on new chunks of identity, which is what you do, you know, when you're a teenager, you're figuring out who you are. And it was the only place I could do that. There were a few times the forum, it's closed now, there is a backup somewhere. But when it was announced, there were a few threads set up. And, you know, the forum had long since, like, basically died. But people came back, and there were a few threads that were basically memories. And I posted on there, I'm like, you know... And at the time, it was a few years ago, and I was like, I just graduated college, and I have a boyfriend who is now my fiancé, and I had a great college experience that was very much the opposite of my high school experience, and I have a life now. But I didn't have that. You guys were my life. And I was able to be like, you know, I wasn't going to mention any of this back then, but I was really miserable, and I was lonely, and Teen Titans fandom was all that I had. And and it helped me to get to a place where I am now where I wouldn't need it the way that I needed it then. And so many people, it turned out, had been coming from the same place. First off, I'd assumed everybody was older than me, but everybody was like, oh, did you also <laughs> join this forum when you were like 13? And so many people were in that place. They're like, yeah, I was really lonely and I didn't have any friends and I was dealing with some really tough stuff, but I could go on titansgo.net and just like get excited about an upcoming episode with you guys and that meant everything. Which was really great, and it was wonderful to go back and see that. So I just, I think sometimes about, like, the drama and the ship wars and blah blah blah, and none of that matters in the end. I remember I joked at some point with this one person that I used to get in these intense ship war battles with, and we were both like, you know what? That was great. That taught me how to debate with somebody, and I'm happy that I knew you. It was just, it was really nice. It was really nice. I just, I feel much goodwill towards Teen Titans fandom now, on the whole. Which, like, maybe I wouldn't have thought while I was in the midst of it, but now, like, Whatever, we're a bunch of dumb teenagers arguing over who Robin should date. Like, whatever. I'm, I'm full of good feelings towards Teen Titans. As well you should be. That sounds like a really good experience. I mean... It really was. So we do have a little bit of time left. So why don't you just run through some quick hits of, like, some of your favorite Teen Titans episodes? Okay, well, number one is Haunted. No question. Which anybody out there might remember as the one where Robin gets high and hallucinates Slade everywhere. And it's like... 
super intense and dark and like Ron Perlman just knocks it out of the fucking park. Like Ron Perlman is a wonderful actor in general, but when people mention him, I have to remember that like, they're probably like, oh, I loved him in Hellboy or like, I love him, you know, he was so good in Pacific Rim. And I have to keep myself from being like, oh my God, he did this amazing voice acting in this cartoon in the 2000s like that I was obsessed <laughs> with. Like I'm afraid to meet him. Because I will just, like, lose my shit. Like, I met Steve Bloom, and, like, I was able to bring myself to ask him to do the Spike voice, and, like, that was almost too much. But, like, Ron Perlman, I don't, I don't know. I think I would just explode. That whole episode is so good. And it's funny because this, this cartoon was my introduction to Dick Grayson as a character. And he's a very different Dick Grayson in this show than, like, every other iteration of Dick Grayson anywhere. And I get that, and I have a lot of love for, like, actual Dick Grayson, but I fucking love Teen Titans Robin as a character so much. He's such a... And, like, again, as I mentioned, I don't often, like, love male characters in the way that I will love female characters, but I loved that character. I loved Robin. I wrote so much overwrought fanfic about him. And that episode was, like, the crown jewel of Robin episodes, which were all generally very good. Like, really, they were all they were all great. Loved that one. Loved the Apprentice arc. Loved the entire Terra arc. Yeah, yeah. We recently, in my, my shop, we got in the last volume of the new collections of the New Teen Titans era, which is the one that wraps up the Judas contract. And, like, I have a lot of love for the New Teen Titans comics and George Perez's art in particular, but Comic Terra is, like, shit compared to Cartoon Terra. Cartoon Terra is such a weird, nuanced character. Like, I recently revisited some of those episodes, and I'm just blown away by how comfortable they were letting her be ambiguous in terms of morality. Like, she's... Nuanced and conflicted and... Like, there's both what she's saying, there's what she's feeling, and then there's what she's actually feeling. And again, in animation, that's difficult. Absolutely. And, like, I'm so impressed nowadays, and I was then, but especially now, with the fact that, like, there's never a reveal that exonerates her entirely. Like, she, well, I mean, it's complicated. She sort of gives her life, which is kind of changed with the last episode to make things right but before that there's nothing that like you know there's no reveal that's like actually she was doing the right thing all along it just lets you sit with the fact that like not everybody wants superpowers and not everybody wants to be a superhero and it's implied that she's had kind of a tough life like she puts a good spin on it but she's clearly homeless she's clearly like a homeless teen drifter she made a bad choice because she was scared and didn't know what else to do and that's sympathizable but also like she hurt people And that hurt is also real and people are angry at her. And they just let you sit with that. And that whole one aired when I was, I think, still 13. So that was like really, really blowing my mind because I hadn't seen something that presented a character, especially a female character that way, to just be like a person who did bad things, but also good things. And you just have to make that work in your head. And like you know figure out how you as the viewer feel about that yeah because thing is it's fairly easy in an episodic show to have a good character that stands on their own and kind of does their own thing tara was such a good character that she provoked development in every other character on that show yes oh my goodness god she was so good it's such a like frequently cited example but look at the difference of beast boy before tara versus beast boy after tara oh my goodness and like i loved what she brought out in raven yeah yeah that whole episode was all about like she's back and everybody's excited but raven is distrustful and i loved especially like i, w- I will let one petty fandom comment slip through i always hated beast boy raven as a ship 
which is its own rant. But I always love that they had a conflict between Raven and Terra, and it wasn't over Beast Boy. It was Raven being like, why should I trust you? My emotions are also something I have to control, and they're connected to my powers, and I have to work this hard at it. How do you expect me to believe that you just, like, fixed this overnight? And, you know, Terra desperately being like, well, how do I earn trust? And, and Raven's like, it takes time. I can't just give it to you. Sorry. And I loved that, and then I loved seeing their whole relationship fall apart. It's just, oh, so, 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 so good. That whole arc is just fantastic. And then, of course, Raven's arc was absolutely phenomenal. I think a lot of people's favorites, but it's it's hard yeah. to choose because a lot of these arts With are With Zombie Slade and oh. Cyborg plugging himself and using the power of the entire tower to try and protect her. Oh, I loved that. And just like, as we were talking about it, I'm kind of thinking back in my head. I'm like, oh no, because you know, the Trigon arc was really where it went dark and intense. Like, no, no, there was Terra and there was yeah. the Apprentice arc. And it's like, there's lots. Oh yeah. There's so much. Oh yeah. I think it was like the first time that show like honestly made me tear up was again when literally everyone was having, well, you know, to steal a phrase from another fandom, everyone was doing their limit break attacks out front of the <laughs> tower to protect her. Yeah. And you had Beast Boy turn into the beast from that one bad episode. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one wasn't great. Toxic masculinity, the episode. <laughs> but this idea where it's like, yeah, everyone's pulling out the stops. Everyone's going past where they should because Raven is that important and it not being enough. Yeah. And it's like you get to the end and you're just wrung out. And you're like, "This, wh what do you even do? Like, Robin kicks Slade in the head and breaks Slade's neck. This is a kid's show. Right? And it doesn't matter. That moment where he just straightens up and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, he can't be killed! Oh my god! Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. That whole arc is so full of fantastic, memorable moments. And I love, I love that the show acknowledges that, like, yeah, Slade's the bad guy, but you also love him, so they give you, like, two episodes to root for him in the whole show. And you get to root for him, and it feels good, and you get to see him and Robin fight together, and that was really cool. Oh, God, I absolutely love that. So, the thing is, we keep talking about all the dark stuff, but Teen Titans is also a ridiculous show. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Can we talk about when Cyborg gets a virus, and he sees everybody as waffles. Oh my god. So, Cyborg ended up becoming one of my favorite characters for a lot of reasons. I was very into his friendship with Starfire. If there was a relationship that I shipped in a non-romantic way, I, I loved their friendship. But I also, I loved when they got kind of weird with Cyborg episodes, and even when they were serious, they got weird. Like, there's the one that's serious where he goes back to the past and becomes a barbarian, and it's serious, <laughs> but it's still goofy. Or yeah. there's the one where he becomes so obsessed with, like, being a workaholic that he orders like like a really really intense like microprocessor and just completely loses his mind but yeah the virus episode is just like and i love that it was also like the body episode where beast boy like shrinks down and has to go through you know his whole of oh, the impossible system. voyage exactly <laughs> oh god i loved that one and i loved i loved what carrie payton got to do as a voice actor there he just he had so much fun with that character just a side note carrie payton's voice was very high in my mind when for the first time in a long time I bought a new issue a new floppy issue because they're very expensive in Australia so I never do I either buy digitally or I buy in trades because I don't want to buy one comics issue and pay anywhere from 9 to $13 for it Jesus yeah yeah it sucks but I had to go and buy that just uh, the Justice League Metal issue 1 because there's a Justice League Voltron and one arm is Cyborg saying booyah and I'm like, uh -huh. I need that. I need it. I need it in my life. Oh, God. In general, I really loved his arc in the third season with Brother Blood. I don't mm -hmm. love the finale, but there were a lot of moments from it that I really loved. Of course, to completely distract from the fact that we were just talking about 
the less serious moments. But I've seen this one reposted a lot over Tumblr and Twitter, but I love that he gets that one episode where he has to go undercover and he gets the little hologram rings that lets him look human entirely. And like, he is really excited too. And you see Starfire and she doesn't totally get it because this is the cyborg she knows. And he's like, well, I had this whole other life that I can't ever have again. And I miss that. And it was good. And you know, he, he got to go back to high school and he becomes kind of obsessed with like the high school minutia. And Robin has to be like, you're on a mission. And he confides in Starfire later on, like, I didn't get to finish high school because of this. And mm -hmm. it was kind of nice to just go to dances again and be a teenager in a way that I'm not able to be. I just, oh. I... Also be a leader on his own with the Hive Five. Exactly. And yeah, it's like, it's stepping into an entirely different fandom. It's like that one episode of Beast Wars where Rhinox, who is like in sort of the back of the episodes, and he's the smart guy and the big guy, he doesn't take initiative. And for one second, he's turned into a bad guy and shows that he could do it at any time and doesn't really want to. Exactly. It's just, oh, I love any kind of episode like that. But yes, to mention the sillier ones, I did always love the one with Larry, who is Robin's Batmite, <laughs> who just comes and makes things demented. That was always really fun. I really, oh my god. Okay, so again, I was so devoted to the show that I have certain sequences, like, very committed to memory. Date with Destiny is an episode that I think I can still quote perfectly from beginning to end. Date with Destiny is the one where Killer Moth's bratty teenage daughter <gasps> takes her up into the prom. Yes. I love that episode so much. Like, first off, it's just, it's really funny. Secondly, it was all about my ship, so of course I loved it. But thirdly, like, Scott Menville as Robin got to get really funny in that episode. Like, he just got to get kind of weird and, like, really cranky and bratty. And it's such a fun, goofy episode. I love the complete fish-out-of-waterness of, like, what if one of our characters had to go to a high school prom? And then also, poor Raven, Beast Boy, and Cyborg have to deal with the absurd threat of, like, giant killer moths, but take it seriously somehow, and find <laughs> it all in, like, a suburban basement. I just, oh god, that whole episode is so good. I'm sending you a picture from that episode. <laughs> yes, oh my god, exactly. Like, the animation on his face from beginning to end was so funny and so good. And you could just tell that the whole staff was having such a good time with it. That was absolutely one of my favorites. Oh my goodness. Is that also the episode where Starfire gets silky? Yes, well, there's one later on where we see her, like, that's, like, properly about their relationship, but this is technically Silky's origin. I think at the end, there's a line where Beast Boy's like, you know, these guys are, like, kind of cute when they're not all, like, gross and murdery. And then you see Silky, like, pop up in the background for a few episodes, and then there is an episode where it is revealed to Starfire. No, Beast Boy has been keeping Silky as a pet, and he has to hide him and gives him to Starfire, and of course Starfire immediately falls in love. Complications ensue. Because Starfire is not from here, and so she doesn't have our hang-ups about stuff. Exactly. And so for example, this horrible slavering maggot is the cutest thing to her. Exactly. Oh, God. The whole relationship was really adorable. I always, I just loved how, like, in general, Starfire was, if I had a, like, favorite character out of the whole show that I had to pick, it was probably Starfire. And I loved that one of the little running gags about her character was just that she was the beautiful, ethereal, chipper princess type, but also had this deep abiding passion for really gross things. Every time there was, like, a, like a TV show to watch or people expressing an interest in something... It was always for her, like, an interest in something very gross and biological. Like, there's some episode where she tells somebody, like, Oh, my very favorite program of the television, World of Fungus, is coming on. May we watch? And, like, she wants to watch documentaries about, like, how hot dogs are made and, like, just, you know, <laughs> disgusting biological things. There we go. There's the happy mom. And, like, just in general, that she likes gross, weird human things. I always mm. really, really love that. That was always a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and it's something that because I've been I've listened to all of Tighten Up the Defense, which everyone should. Host of the show Hub has been on this show, and going back to early Starfire and being like where the comics took it in a very different way. I love the Teen Titan Starfire is like, oh, I fly by feeling joy. Yeah. The joy of flight is what makes me fly, and the joy of battle is what makes me able to throw star bolts and stuff. So she's all about feeling things deeply, which makes a great contrast to her friendship with Raven. Raven who has to kind of close everything in and be very rationed with what she feels and there is starfire who is just like no everything's amazing and here's how everything is amazing exactly and i always loved that the show did not make her stupid because of this like it respected her point of view and the way that she interacted with the world and it would have been very easy to just write her as more of a like a ditz and Mm -hmm. i always in particular loved like one of the things that made me just totally fall for Robin and Starfire as a ship is that from the very beginning they established them as best friends. I don't even know how many moments over the course of the series, but there are numerous moments where one of them will say to the other like, oh, you know you're my best friend, right? And I just, I love that because it was hard to find heterosexual romance that wasn't built on like bickering or the guy treats the girl like shit and that's romantic for some reason. I really hadn't encountered much that was like they're a couple because they like each other and they like being around each other and they have things in common and like they make each other smile. And I always loved in particular that this is a take on Dick Grayson that really as many people have noted is more Tim Drake. And more Tim Drake and Batman himself. But you know, this is a Dick Grayson who's characterized by being this like incredibly uptight workaholic who like cannot take a break, throws himself just way, way too deep into his work. And with Starfire, it's not completely the manic pixie dream girl thing though of like, oh, well, she helps him feel joy. It's like, like they sort of visit each other's headspaces at different points. And I always liked that. Like Starfire is like, you know, so much more exuberant and and so much like livelier on the surface. But also like she benefits from Robin being who she is because you can tell that he takes her seriously in a way that a lot of the characters sort of don't. Like Raven will kind of blow her off sometimes and Beast Boy will, you know, joke around with her and nothing else. But like, I always liked that for Robin, Starfire is a person that he can just like enjoy things with and for Starfire Robin takes her seriously and never talks down to her and never like treats her as you know somebody who is weird you know she's she's Starfire that's who she is and he's not going to imply that anything about that is weird and I always just really loved that I always loved in particular that was sisters which is of course the first episode that I saw but also the first episode mm-hmm. with, like them as a couple chronologically in the show I always loved that it introduces him as emotional support for her which I'd never seen before with a couple Like, Mm -hmm. she's insecure about Blackfire, and the last episode is her sitting on the roof and worrying over it in her mind, and, you know, she tells Robin, like, well, I'm just glad I wasn't replaced, and, you know, everybody was having such fun with her, and he's like, no, your sister was interesting, but she couldn't take your place. Like, nobody could take your place. It's okay. We care about you as you. And I really, really liked that. I never really seen a relationship before that was like that, and especially not a relationship that boiled down to, like, uptight dude, lively girl, where the dude was helping the girl with her emotions. I really, really liked that. I would not have put it into those words then, but I understand now that that's something that really appealed to me about it. And it's funny because I do love the 80s comics, but I care more about Robin and Starfire in the cartoon than I actually do about Dick and Cory in the comics, because there it is kind of a more generic, like, well, here's our, like, 80s space babe. And, like, and I, I really do like them, and they have a very different dynamic that I also enjoy, but it's more like, oh, here's your sexy alien princess that you deserve because you're the male lead. 
Mm. I just really, really liked that in the cartoon, they felt more like an actual relationship. Like, they're there for each other when things are tough. And then later on in the first season, you have that episode Masks, which I also love, which is the one that introduces Red X. And Mm -hmm. it ends with this confrontation between them where Robin is like, oh, are you going to yell at me too? Because if you are, I can't blame you. Everybody else has. And Starfire just kind of lays it out for him and ends it with, no, Slade had a point. You're similar. He doesn't trust us and you don't either. Or no, it's he did not trust you and you did not trust us. And she just lets him sit with that. And I didn't see that very much. I didn't see relationships in shows aimed at me, especially as like a child and young teenager that respected couples like that enough to show them like making mistakes and actually owning what they did and having to work towards something better. And just enjoying each other's company. That is so rare in like how we portray romance and especially heterosexual romance like it is so rare that we see actual support and care instead of very gimmicky like slap slap kiss kind of stuff like that's something that i still struggle to find in like adult literature it is genuinely difficult to find i cannot believe that like a cartoon from 2003 still does it better than most movies but it does and it's hard because like if i want like a searing realistic adult take on a relationship like i can get that it's very hard to find a middle ground between that and like shitty gimmicky rom-com stuff it's hard to just find like i don't want something so real that i can't root for it but i don't want something that's gimmicky and stupid so i just still really enjoy this couple from this goofy 2000s cartoon even with the cliche moment which i'm sure you'll remember she's not my girlfriend oh yeah which normally when you see that handle especially in cartoons or shows aimed at younger people it becomes this very much oh well they actually are in love it's just that oh you know him saying this is a kind of a pushy way of doing things when in fact it's just shown as she's just really hurt by it yeah and he has to spend the entire episode saying no no we are actually friends and like we mentioned before her powers are linked to her emotions and she couldn't do anything. She couldn't continue if she didn't think they were friends. And that, I think, was far, like you were saying, them liking each other is far more important than any kind of romantic subtext in that scene. Yeah. I always, always love that the whole episode is him having to be like, no, I, I do care about you and her being like, really? And he's like, yeah. And, you know, he goes on and lists things. And it's clear that the wires are a little bit crossed because I remember there's that moment where she's like, Where he's like, oh, I don't think you get it. Like, on our planet, girlfriend means, and she's like, a female whom you share a pleasant and special association with, and you do things with, and you give flowers to. And he's like, wait a minute, I think you do kind of get it. (laughs) And I always love that it was sort of this weird blurred line where, like, Starfire understands what romance and attraction are. And she gets that that's what's between them, but she's not really sure what to do next. Because, like, they're friends, but they're kind of more than friends, but they haven't made a move. And, like, I always love that you can sort of feel the weird place she's in there where she's like, all right, I think I know what's happening here, but I don't actually know enough about your weird culture to understand what to do next. So I Mm. guess we'll just sit here and, like, sexual tension land forever. (laughs) Of course, well, until the movie. But I loved that even while that was happening, like, they were just still friends. Like, it wasn't like, oh, the relationship is shitty and diminished and we bicker all the time. It's like, okay, we're not kissing yet, but, like, we care about each other and we like being around each other and there's all kinds of things we can do in each other's company beyond, like, the obvious romance things because we just like each other because that is most of a relationship when you come down to it. Most of it is just liking being around each other in very mundane ways. And that's just shockingly hard to find in media. 
And I think that's a nice place for us to wrap things up. So, Julia, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? I am probably easiest to find on Twitter right now as Prynette, P-R-Y-N-N-E-T-T-E. I should probably get on, like, having an actual website. But I'm Prynette pretty much everywhere, Tumblr, other places that I can't remember. I'm mostly on Twitter, just like holler at me on Twitter. And if people wanted to find the Lasso of Truth? Ah, yes. Lasso of Truth Pod is, well, at Lasso of Truth Pod. I think you can also find it linked through my Twitter account and L's, L's account being another L, E L L E. Yeah, you should absolutely give a listen because we are charming and insightful. <laughs> and you're writing? Uh, well, the writing doesn't really have a website yet. <laughs> and I'm in the middle right now of wrapping up the script for Fabio Linalini, so stay tuned. All right, Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm now going to ho- watch a whole bunch of Teen Titans. Me too! Do you Thank you very much to Juliet Kahn for her time. For Juliet's signature cocktail, I asked for what flavor she enjoyed, and she came back with two words that made me very happy, rum and citrus. This gave me free reign to dig into my tiki bar library, and so I present the Starbolt. In a blender, combine one and a half ounces of white rum, an ounce of dark rum, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of triple sec, a quarter ounce of lime juice, and a quarter ounce of grenadine. Throw in a few handfuls of crushed ice and pulse until uniformly combined. Pour into a hurricane glass or tiki mug and garnish with a pineapple stick. This is a drink for the good times. There will be music and the iced cream and the strange game involving the pins and the behind of a donkey. It's going to be glorious. Enjoy. is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You can make it rain. Patrons get physical mail, cursive tweets, and I just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. 
you can also leave a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist going back all the way to episode one with every song I've ever used in the show, including this one. It's Friends Forever by Puffy and Yumi. You might recognize them as the band that did the intro for the Teen Titans cartoon. They also had their own TV show. It's a long story. I update the playlist with the new music as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to Dr. Daniel Bins, an old friend of mine, about letting Indiana Jones into your life. Join me, won't you? my couch and like queue up the apprentice arc because that shit was real <laughs> like oh, oh I, I was gonna mention this but i didn't get to it when i was working for comics alliance one of the san diego's i went when uh, andy corey was editing and i was i was there representing ca he got me to do a roundtable interview of the titan the teen titans go cast let me tell you right now that was the most surreal fucking moment of my life because like there were there were the new creators who were in the ultra like the the two head creator writer guys and like they were fine and they were joking a little bit like oh were you back in the fandom back in the day and i was like haha a little bit no big deal not like that was something i devoted hundreds of hours of my life to not like that was like the life raft of my adolescence nbd ha 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 but like the cast like they were really nice but i just sat there the whole time looking at scott menville and being like if you only knew like all the 14 year old smut i wrote about your character man like and he was really nice. Like, Tara Strong, I was recording with an app on my phone, and my phone was like, I dropped it recently, and it looked terrible. And she just turned to me at some point and deadpanned in Raven's voice, like, your phone is really cracked. And I'm like, holy fuck, lady, you gotta warn me before you do that. Greg Sipes, though, was just exactly what you'd expect. Like, that dude wandered in in, like, like an embroidered muumuu and sat down, and we had this, this window facing San Diego Harbor. And at some point he just goes, that boat is full of bananas. And I looked out, and it's because there was, like, a Dole Fruit boat out there. It had, like, the big Dole logo. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And I'm thinking, oh my god, you're exactly what I expected. Like, I think he was high. I'm not sure. Maybe he's just like that. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm honestly not certain. Everybody else was, like, pleasant and professional. And I think, like, Scott Mandel at some point teased me because I mentioned something about the fandom. And he was like, oh yeah, the Robin and Starfire shippers. And I'm like, ha ha, yeah! Yeah, they existed, I I hear. Not that I interacted with it, because I was, I was like, journalistic, objecti- journalistic objectivity. I just remember that at some point somebody was like, oh, are you one of those people that cared about the old cartoon that can't stand the new one? And I was like, I, it was it was a moment I let slip, like, I gave more of a shit about this cartoon than anybody you could put me against, and I don't give a fuck that the new one is, you know? And, and somebody was like, wow, thanks, we appreciate that. And I was like, this is my legacy among these people. They'll forget me in 24 hours, but, like, maybe a part of them will remember. There was a girl that interviewed us at San Diego Comic-Con, and she didn't care. And, like, that's fine. That's a perfectly fine legacy to have among people who randomly meant a lot to me at a very intense point in my life. <laughs>